Thank you for tuning in to Game Investing. It's a special day, election day, so um, you know what they say, death and taxes. Those are the only things we know for sure. Um, I think no matter what happens today, we can count on a thousand pages of new tax law coming into the pipeline because of what's happening in the United States of America. It's not just the presidential election, but you've got hundreds of politicians that are basically lawyers that draw up your new laws. So I think we can all expect some um, tax law changes coming up, probably in 2021. And it's a good time to think about tax benefits, strategies, tactics. Um, and if you want to be uh, you know, a collector investor that wants to turn your hobby into a business, um, it's pretty easy to grab all these strategies and tactics. Um, but before I start, um, we need to talk about basically I'm coming from an American perspective. So a couple disclosures to start off with. Number one, this podcast is created under the Constitution of the United States, particularly the First Amendment, which is freedom of press and freedom of speech. So I'm giving my opinion for educational and entertainment purposes, if you think I'm funny. Um, and for listeners outside of the United States, this podcast episode is not as specific to you unless you're trying to create an entity in the United States or even going offshore. There are some things I'll talk about that you can do from an international perspective. I mean, you can rent a mailbox, for example, in Las Vegas or Wyoming or Delaware and set up a, a corporation for like a thousand bucks pretty quickly. So you can grab tax benefits that way if you're trying to sell to the American market. But generally, I'm usually talking about American tax benefits, the IRS, states, cities, counties, and even more complicated subjects. But this is such a complicated subject that I'm going to start with the most powerful benefits that I could think of with my 35 years experience running multiple businesses through multiple states and countries. So number one, I am not a CPA. I am not a tax lawyer. I am not a registered tax preparer anymore. I used to be for four or five years in California. I was a California registered tax preparer and prepared hundreds of tax returns, including several businesses. Um, let's see. Um, I am not a licensed financial advisor, but I do have a master's in business and I studied strategy and accounting and worked for a tax accounting firm for a little bit. I've worked for several uh, little places like H&R Block and another, uh, you know, another place in San Francisco. I've even uh, done taxes on my own. I still do taxes for friends. I've filed 500 taxes myself, taking full responsibility for preparation and submission and filing in multiple states for 10 businesses of my own, as well as 100 other businesses. Um, my area of expertise is pretty much sole proprietorships. In other words, micro businesses, businesses that have one to five people. Um, you know, that could be one rental unit or that could be uh, an eBay business or that could be, um, you know, a waiter that's getting a 1099 or something like that. Um, small business has a lot of meanings. Some people say 100 or less employees, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So my expertise is small business, kind of like you. I'm assuming that you might just be a one or two person business. You or you and your wife or maybe you and your kid and you're operating out of home. So that's kind of the assumption for this one. Also, number three, 
tax laws are going to change. They will always change and they're never going to go away. So number one, you've got up until today's tax laws. And then number two, we've got assumptions going into the future, um, whether or not it's a Republican or Democratic president today, later today, that's going to happen in a couple hours. It really doesn't matter because the House and the Senate are definitely probably going to get swept by a blue wave, which means we're going to have um, very easy tax reform passed through the Senate and the House, and it just comes down to will the president sign it or veto it. So what that means is that it's not going to be like it has been for the last several years. Um, when you have a big thousand-page document getting pushed through, generally it won't be able to be blocked until it lands on the president's desk. So that's what you're voting for today. It's not just the presidency. You're voting for tax reform, ease of tax reform, uh, what state is going to receive different types of tax re reform as it as it gets deployed across the country. You're going to see people move out of state. We were just at an open house the other day. Uh, the people left uh, a no-tax state to go to a no-income tax state. People are leaving California to go to Texas, no-income tax. So, you know, there's all kinds of strategies. I could probably do 10 podcasts on taxes and probably will in the future. But today, hopefully I can focus on big changes are coming. Let's look at the most powerful benefit strategies and tax it tactics for you. And my assumption for you is that you're a tiny, you're a tiny little business. You're either a hobby business at home or a small business that's operating out of the home. You might have a retro game shop. Um, I don't know if I have any retro game shop owners out there, but I'm assuming those are, you know, family businesses, husband, wife type of situation. Um, like I've seen in Portland, Vancouver and Washington. So what I'm going to focus on today are legal tax strategies and tactics. So I'm not going to go over selling on social media and not reporting or selling at a garage sale and not reporting, um, you know, uh, cash sales at a show, although travel is probably something I could add at the end of the whole uh, episode, because that's the fun part of ta about taxes is writing off travel. Um, we'll get to that. But let me take a quick break, uh, look over my notes, and get into the meat of the episode. Welcome back to Game Investing. Hopper here to take it up a notch and try to help you save long run. Um, the number one thing is changing your mindset from collector to investor or business owner. Um, investors traditionally are business owners. They have multiple entities, businesses. What is an entity? An entity is like an LLC or a, an American corporation. So usually when I say the word entity, we're talking about a state licensed and registered LLC or corporation. Um, there is so much to go into. So I think I'm going to start with three broad categories, no taxes, less taxes, and some taxes. So the most powerful thing, the most powerful benefit of running a business, changing your mindset from shopping to purchasing, uh, collecting to inventory, um, you know, paying rent to writing off rent, etc., is basically thinking of yourself as a business owner. So you're buying stuff for your customers, not for yourself. That's the number one rule. Shout out to Josh over at SideQuest. That's what he said. You know, he takes the emotion out of it. He did a panel at PRGE. I, I watched the whole thing with Reggie uh, 2017. You can pull that up on YouTube. Uh, he, you know, he admits being a dirty reseller and basically boils it down to this. 
when he buys stuff, he takes the emotion out of it and he's buying stuff for his customers. So he's doing the hunt that a busy professional might not be able to do. An investor might not be able to do. Someone that has a family and running multiple real estate businesses might not have the time to do. So they go on heritage, they drop money and they don't have to hunt. Um, or they go into a retro game shop and they, you know, buy a pile and they don't pay sales tax and they don't have to hunt. So at the highest level of business, when you're talking about no taxes, you've got nonprofits. So I've, I've been thinking about starting a nonprofit to turn game investing into a magazine, kind of like Consumer Reports. And the big benefit there is it's not just the IRS. After you get, and by the way, you have to spend, an, you know, you got to spend a little bit more, like maybe two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 with a lawyer, possibly, maybe an EA, enrolled agent, to help you set up your nonprofit to be tax-free. Now, when you set up your nonprofit, it has to really be a corporation. So you choose a state. Um, I would choose a high-tax state like California because you're not going to be paying taxes. Then you get a lawyer to help you file uh, exemption with the IRS. When you get back your approval, which is not always guaranteed, then that's when the party starts. That's when you don't pay any income taxes to the IRS or the state. You don't pay any property taxes to the county for all the equipment you have or maybe inventory taxes. And you don't pay, uh, I don't think you have to pay taxes to the city. You might need to pay a little business license fee. So if you have a nonprofit, let's say you take donations, video game donations, and you set up, you refurbish a Wii's and you set those up at senior homes. So, you know, your, your business is basically um, helping seniors um, stay active through video gaming. So you take in donations for free, you run an eBay store, you refurbish, and you, you, in, you, you do installations in senior homes for free. But your operation can sell on social media, Walmart, Amazon, eBay, you know, Facebook, Instagram. It can do it all. And you can purchase sales tax-free, pay no income taxes, pay no sales taxes to every state in the nation. And you can run your business and make a quote-unquote profit and then pay salaries out. So you can pay your volunteers a little bit. You can pay yourself as executive director, uh, maybe your wife, maybe your kids. And that's one of the most powerful strategies that the uh, uber-rich, the wealthy use is they hire their children. So when the children go out to go clothes shopping, book shopping, they pull money out of an account that was paid out in salary rather than just giving them the money. That is one of the most powerful tax strategies in the world is hire your family, start a family business. And it doesn't have to be an LLC, a corporation. It could be a nonprofit. It could be a sole proprietorship. It could be an LLC. It could be a partnership. You know, you don't have to pick a specific money-hungry entity that you've got bad rap on. It can be a nonprofit. So the most powerful tax strategy in, in the United States is a nonprofit. I would say the second most powerful strategy is paying the IRS zero. And... There's a lot of ways to do that. Um, number one is obviously nonprofit. Number two would be don't make any money. So um, basically the way you set up your companies is you're trying to make a profit. I mean, from the IRS point of view, if you're a business trying to make a profit, you're, you're technically a business and not a hobby business. But if you try to make a profit and take a loss or break even through tax benefits, that's legal. Um, you just can't do it over and over and over again. So paying no tax is a little tricky. Um, 
you can do it. You can definitely do it in a for-profit business for the first year or two. But the general rule of thumb that I've heard from CPAs, uh, professionals in the tax industry, is you want to make a profit like two, three, you know, at least one out of every five years. So you, you know, maybe you can take, you know, a loss or break even for two years every five years, which means pay no taxes for two or three years and then pay taxes for two years. And the other thing you can do, um, you can check with your tax professional about this, is when you take a loss as an investor or a business owner, as an investor, you can carry forward $3,000 worth of losses. So let's say like me, full disclosure, I took $20,000 losses in the stock market this year trading over $200,000. I'm going to be able to carry forward $3,000 in tax benefits for the next six or seven years. Okay. So there's lots of ways to pay no taxes. I'm just saying if you want to pay no taxes forever, you're going to need like a nonprofit or multiple entities. And multiple entities is way too complicated for this podcast. That would be like having real estate entities, business entities, nonprofit entities, you know, like a trust all working together to where all the uh, taxes either land out of country or uh, in a nonprofit. And believe me, that's what everybody's doing at the high level. All your Google founders, Facebook founders, Amazon, you know, it's true. Those high level people are avoiding taxes. Well, I don't know if they're avoiding taxes. They're being smart. They're hiring lawyers to pay no taxes. And you do that by going international with nonprofits. So speaking of international, I think we should talk about going offshore. I mean, I'll just drop it. That is the most powerful tax strategy. I do believe Silicon Valley uses that. There's things like the Irish twist or there's things that involve Ireland and the Virgin Islands and Cayman Islands and, you know, all these islands out there where there's no taxes. Um, it's just a bunch of bankers and lawyers that set up uh, companies. And yeah, the, the word shell company does exist. You can buy one off the shelf. You can buy one and set up a bank account. So, you know, the most powerful tax strategy globally is to go offshore. Offshore means you're not in the United States technically. You're using eBay.com, Amazon.com, Facebook.com, Instagram.com, but your entity, your corporation or LLC or partnership or trust is in the Cayman Islands or the Virgin Islands or maybe Ireland with a much lower rate. So the most powerful stack strategy is offshore. The next most powerful, if you're going to stay domestic like me, and I've moved twice because of taxes. I've moved my whole, uh, my whole kit and caboodle two times. It's just intense just for tax purposes. Um, at the state level for income taxes, not sales taxes, income taxes, there are states where you can pay no income tax if your entity is headquartered there. Now, what does headquartered mean? That means you got to have a legal business address. That's not always a mailboxes, et cetera, or UPS address. That has to be, quote unquote, somewhere where you can hang a business license. And that's the first thing you, you ask. So if you want a Wyoming, a Nevada corporation, a Texas address, a Delaware address, Alaska address, um, you know, Montana address, you're going to have to call them up and say, can I hang a business license at your mailbox service? So the cheapest way to do this is set up an entity in a no income state like Texas or Nevada, maybe Delaware. And find a service that involves a mailbox that where you can hang a business license and you need a resident agent. And the resident agent is someone that receives mail on behalf of your entity. So let's say you're getting sued 
they can't really know where you live because they're going to shield you, which brings up another big tax benefit. Um, liability and the reason to start a business, get an EIN number, which is free through the IRS to start paying your taxes as a business is liability. So that's uh, credit liability, uh, identity theft liability, um, liability. If you go bankrupt, you don't owe the debts of your corporation. If there's multiple people involved, if it's a one, you know, one man shop, that's probably going to pierce the corporate veil. But anyway, getting back to paying no taxes at the state level, um, at the income level, you're going to need an entity and for sales taxes, you're going to need probably an address. Uh, sales tax is a little bit easier. I don't think, you know, you're going to have to get business license hanging. You should, you, you might get away with not having a residence agent, but you should, um, or you can move. That's the other thing you can do is you can move. You can move to Texas, Delaware, Nevada, Montana, Alaska. Those are the no income states. You can set up your home business. You can get into real estate. You can do both. And that's another powerful strategy. Um, I think the most powerful tax benefit for thinking like an investor or a business owner is no sales taxes. Okay, so I've spent over seven figures on video games over the last 10 years through three states from California, high tax state to Nevada, no income state no income tax state to Oregon, no sales tax state. So I have saved 50 to $100,000 in income taxes and sales taxes by moving my business, my home business, my business address, my entities through those three states. Um, if you're already in a no income or no sales tax state, then there's really no reason to move um, unless you're trying to build out a supply chain. Like for example, Oregon, you know, has a ton of retro games. Uh, Washington has a ton of uh, professionals in the gaming industry. Let's say you want to start a blog, a YouTube channel, and you want to interview developers and stuff like that. And you want to set it up with a no passive state income entity. Um, Washington would be a great state. Uh, you got to look up the laws, though. You're going to have to pay other taxes like business license and possibly um, they've got a They've got a top line tax, which I don't like. That has a that has a equivalent in Reno and Washoe County. So the other thing is you got to look at your city. City, you got to look at your county. Everything goes down to the address on the IRS tax form you're submitting. It could be a Schedule C. It could be a 1045, a 1020, 1120. That's your legal tax address. And when I say business address, that's what I'm talking about. Um, so it's not a P.O. box. It's it's an address in a state that gives you tax benefits for sales taxes. Uh, you've got Oregon, uh, Montana. Oh, gosh, what are the others? Um, I think there's three others out there. I can't remember them right now, which is so funny because I've been studying this for 30 years. You know, I started doing taxes back for my first a corp, not corporation, sole proprietor exporting business in 1997, but I did taxes for Altered Shot back in 91, 92, 93, 94. And we were technically a partnership, but on the tax return, we were a sole proprietorship for one person. So we were using a social security. We didn't know about all those tax benefits. The other most powerful tax benefit for using an EIN as a business owner or investor is, besides liability that I mentioned, is business credit. And I could do a very long podcast on this, um, but uh, I'll probably do one. 
Business credit used to be called corporate credit, and that's where people would set up paper companies, get a bunch of business credit, rack up a million dollars of debt, go into real estate or whatever, and walk away um, if the real estate went bust and walk away unscathed because they were never getting the quote-unquote corporate veil pierced. Uh, a lot of people did that in Nevada back in the day. Now, you know, people are doing it in Wyoming because you can park you can park massive assets and shield them from your family. So we're talking prenups. We're talking not trusting family members, maybe business partners, stuff like that. Um, if you're talking highest level, you're talking corporate, which would be Delaware. So um, those states all have different laws that protect different types of levels. I would say small corporation, Nevada would be. I would recommend Nevada, uh, uh, LLC with uh, assets, maybe Wyoming, and then, you know, corporate with multiple directors and multiple shareholders, Delaware. Um, so the most powerful tax benefit, how do you use business credit? Well, business credit is complicated. And what I'm going to say is think about when you apply for a credit card. What's the most important field that you cannot get away with? You have to disclose your social security number. And that's a liability. When you type your social security number into a website, you're risking like Target got hacked. Uh, you know, I heard Synchrony got hacked. A lot of credit card companies get hacked. And what's the hacker going for? Social security number, address, etc. So the biggest benefit when you're talking high level sophisticated investor, when they have an entity such as a trust or a, a business, maybe a real estate entity where they're investing in video games on the side, coins on the side, using that entity, they are using an EIN, which is free. You can do it in 15 minutes, IRS, Google it. You can get your EIN for free. Within 24 hours, you can start using that EIN. Technically, it's for paying people, you know, paychecks, your employees. That's kind of what it's for, employee identification number. Because when you start having employees, you have to start paying like 10 taxes, you know, disability, unemployment, state, city, local, county. It just gets crazy. But if you're one man shop, maybe you and your wife, whatever, you can use that EIN to build credit. And what do I mean by build credit? I'm talking about business credit. I'm talking about Dun & Bradstreet, Experian Business, uh, Equifax, etc. They're all jumping on board. Back in the day, it was basically D&B, Dun & Bradstreet. So the first stage was get your EIN for free, then get your Duns for free, and start setting up accounts that report to Dun & Bradstreet. So basically, here's one little pattern you can use. Here's a little tactical ladder I can give you as a as a small home office so you know number one you want an address that you can run a business out of so you contact your city you get your business license then you go get your ein then you go get your duns your first stop is office depot staples or or uline and you and you get credit cards you get credit cards or or net 30 with uline with those three guys you start racking up box shipments tape shipments Basically, you start ordering a bunch of shipments from them regularly. So you place orders every month. You rack up as much debt as you can, and then you pay off that debt day one. So with Office Depot and Staples, you pay your credit card statement day one. You don't pay it early. You don't pay it late. You pay it day one or two after the statement cutoff date. For Uline, you pay that as soon as possible um, after you've gotten billed. So you're going to be on net 30, which means you're allowed to pay in 30 days. But the trick to business credit is you want to pay it within nine days or less. Personal credit is exactly opposite. You want to pay it twice throughout the 
statement and I can do several videos on credit I am a credit expert we're not going into personal credit on this video we're going into business credit so building business credit is like an elevator it's like an express elevator through a skyscraper um, it's a great way to build bad credit. It's a great way post-bankruptcy. It's a great way to build powerful credit. I mean, you could build up three entities overnight if you got a couple thousand dollars. It's going to be based on Social Security as of late 2020 post-financial crisis Lehman bankruptcy. The rules changed. And you do need a Social Security number. You do need a nice FICO if you want the best business credit products. But... Business credit is powerful. Your credit limits are going to be two, three X. Your credit limits can go unlimited for black cards. You can do, you know, $20,000 credit cards, you know, early if you got a decent FICO and an entity. You, and these business credit cards, you know, you walk into a store, you spend seven, eight, nine grand, you know, you're not going to have to make a phone call. They're going to go through, you know, out of state transactions. They're going to go through high dollar transactions, heritage transactions, etc. Um, business credit is powerful. So that is definitely a highly recommended, powerful strategy. And I gave you the tactical ladder to build that fast. Uh, contact me directly if you want a custom plan. Um, I don't know if I have to mention City. City is, uh, I wouldn't consider it powerful, but a business license is powerful. And there's two ways to do that. Set up your business in the county, away from the city, outside of city lines. You're not going to need a business license. You might need a state license. And the other is, you know, be in the city, support a mayor, um, and get a business license. That could be one to 500 bucks. County-wise, um, there's no way to get out of property taxes unless you're a nonprofit. And you are supposed to pay property taxes on your desk, on your scale, on your tape gun, on your lamp, your chair, your TV, legally. Um, okay, so that covers no taxes. That's a brief overview. Um, hopefully, I gave you some powerful things to think about, um, thinking like an investor, a business owner. Most investors are business owners. I mean, look at the Forbes 500. Everyone's an entrepreneur. Everyone's a business owner that became an investor. Mark Cuban, you know, whoever. Business owner that became an investor. He started by buying a little bar in his college town. And then, you know, now he's a billionaire owner of the Dallas Mavericks. And in between, he bought and sold several companies. I think Mark Cuban is a guy to look at because... He started small and he got big, so he's done it all. I recommend Mark Cuban if you're looking for general. Um, oh, this is great. We've got massive background noise. This is a first. So this is the downside of operating a, a home office in a residential area. Um, you're going to have stuff like this disrupting your social media. I'm going to keep going because, you know, this is pirate radio and... Uh, we don't edit, we don't cut, we don't, uh, well, we have started segmenting, but I'm going to get closer to the mic and talk louder. So we're going to finish up on no sales taxes. Let's move to less sales taxes. Now, the most powerful strategy on less sales taxes is claiming a loss. Now, the only way this works is if you have a, a plus. The negative doesn't help you unless you have a plus. So if your business operation, your video game operation, your resell operation, your buy and sell operation, your flip operation is taking a loss in the first year, the second year, the fourth year, the seventh year, it's only going to really help you if you have a gain somewhere else, a gain in a real estate, a gain in, a, you know, a gain in your day job. So 
the really the really most powerful way to pay less taxes is to have a day job maybe a wife with a day job kid with a day job a family with a day job partner with a day job partner with a real estate job um something like that to where you do have a big number coming in that you want to reduce and get to a lower tax bracket and the tax bracket may change with a presidential election and we're looking at new tax laws so you know i can't recommend specific tactics all i can say generally strategically is study your tax brackets because if you can create a loss legally and bring your main income down into another tax bracket below you can save significant taxes significant and those brackets change almost every presidential election i can almost guarantee if you look in history the brackets change the rates for the brackets the tiering may change on several things like capital gains taxes income taxes um you know maybe even wealth transfer taxes those are big powerful strategies you know what are you going to do with your collection are you assuming that your kid is going to treasure it and keep it forever? You're probably wrong. Um, you know, if you study, you know, if you study the uh, pamphlets or books that Heritage gives out, you know, they're always talking about wealth preservation. They're talking about how to transfer wealth to a generation below you, maybe even one beyond that. And really the most powerful way is an entity. And that's either nonprofit or one that can take a loss. And since I'm talking about transfer, uh, that is a way to lower the taxes of the recipient by them paying no capital gains taxes. So it's a combination of capital gains and income taxes. And that's why I think the stock market sold off last week is people were going, oh, gosh, what if we have a blue wave um, and we've got more stimulus and then we've got lower corporate tax? Uh, no, excuse me, lower income taxes, higher corporate taxes, lower capital gains taxes. What that means is investors are thinking, hmm, if I sell my stock now for a profit, I can save income taxes now because the tax rates are low under, under the uh, current administration as well as the capital gains tax. And I can avoid higher capital gains tax in the future. And if I'm ultra wealthy last week and I'm selling off Facebook, Google, Apple, and you know, I'm an ultra wealthy investor in a very high tax bracket. It is very possible. That's a double hit next year. If you're in a high tax income bracket and you're paying capital gains on your, on your stock trades, maybe even your coin trades, you're doing it legally. You're not doing it on social media. You're taking gains on both sides. You sell out now. Because on a blue wave, you're looking at high tax brackets, paying higher income taxes, and then also capital gains getting ratcheted up, which is just going to slaughter you if you held stock for long run or held coins for long run, art for long run. Probably not video games, but maybe sports cards, not Pokemon. Anything long run that you held and you're trying to get out of or you're thinking about getting out of, you want to get out of before, before December 31st. So that's another tactic you can use. I mean, later tonight, if you see a blue wave, uh, I would, you know, I would set up an appointment with your tax advisor, your financial advisor, go over your entire portfolio, look over all the things that you have long term capital gains, short term capital gains, make two buckets there and then calculate what's your impact to your income tax based on the capital gains and income tax brackets today in 2020 versus a potential ratcheting 
up on capital gains in 2021, a possible trading tax that Bernie Sanders proposed, um, where there's going to be a tax on trades, and then the income tax brackets. Because uh, you can bet that if the Democrats sweep, um, we're going to pay for stimulus with high income, high income earners. So paying less taxes, there are a multitude of ways to pay less taxes. Number one, you need an entity. Number two, um, you need to start thinking about multiple taxes. Sales taxes, income taxes, capital gains taxes are the big three. So there's powerful strategies if you have an entity you can use to kind of juggle those three and set your family up. Now, setting your family up is not just giving them your video games. Um, you know, it might be better to give them shares in a corporation that owns a retro game shop. Um, you know, something they can easily transfer, get out of, you know, sell to employees, sell to another owner, sell the whole kit and caboodle. Because here's the deal. If you want to pay no capital gains taxes, well, not you, but if your family, your kids, your grandkids, and you've got, you're going to hand them a million dollar video game collection. Here is the quick and easy dirty tactic. What you can do is write them in your will. You can either will them shares in the entity, partnership in the entity, um, shares in the corporation that owns the eBay store, the retro game shop, the uh, real estate that has the retro game shop. You can just will them that stuff. And the, the quick and dirty rule is they pay taxes based on the appreciation from the date they receive the inheritance. So when you die, um, your date of death market value is going to be their cost. So if you bought a, you know, you bought a million dollar Zelda for a hundred grand, um, the day you die, it's worth a million bucks. You bought it for a hundred grand. Your kid gets it on the day they get it. It's worth a million bucks. Their cost is a million dollars instead of a hundred grand. So you save them a $900,000 gain. And this is the most powerful strategy the wealthy use. They use entities, nonprofits, trusts, charities, and they also use inheritance. So this is also probably going to change. You got to look up the inheritance tax. When you're talking over five million, this may not work. But if you're talking under five, maybe one to five, those rules are also going to change based on today's election. And um, inheritance tax and capital gains and basis are the keywords to find the tactic that fits you best. Contact me if you want to, uh, you know, talk about that. You're going to need, you might need a lawyer. Uh, you might need a CPA. A tax lawyer can do both. That's why the wealthy don't use CPAs. Uh, your choices are basically tax lawyer at the top, CPA or EA in multiple states, and then maybe a tax preparer. Um, I would recommend a tax lawyer if you can afford it. If not, maybe an EA multiple states. So anyway, um, Paying less taxes, there's a trillion ways to do it, and I think I outlined it the most powerful. The second most powerful I got a minute to talk about is real estate. So um, flipping, rehabbing, investing, collecting rents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So let's say you could buy a shopping center, set up a retro game shop. Um, there's a million things you could do there. You know, there's a million things to pay less taxes. And the key most powerful tactic in real estate paying less taxes is depreciation. With depreciation, you are able to basically control how many taxes you're going to pay in the current term. Um, basically, depreciation is a way to write off the value of the assets that you purchase, such as your retro game shop, your shopping center, 
uh, maybe your house where you're operating your home office out of one of the big rooms and the garage. So depreciation is a very complicated topic, but basically it means extending taxes until the day you sell the asset. But there's ways like through a 1031 where you can avoid that or transfer it into a nonprofit, etc. So hopefully we've uh, covered no taxes and less taxes and the most powerful strategies and tactics. Um, we've gone through 30 minutes and we're going to have to come back and wrap up uh, the final most powerful strategy, which is paying some taxes, which I think is the majority of us out there. And again, the assumption is legal. So let me take a break and come right back. Welcome back to Game Investing with Hopper. We're going to have to wrap this up kind of assuming that, hey, not all of us can afford lawyers and CPAs and EAs and nonprofit corporations and moving out of state like crazy Hopper did. Um, you got to be either crazy or pretty wealthy to do all the powerful strategy as I laid out in the first two segments. So let's close this out with the strategy of pay some taxes legally. That's what we're going to talk about. So I'm assuming that, you know, you're probably running a home business. It's an eBay business, maybe Amazon, maybe Walmart, Mercury. Um, maybe you're thrifting. Maybe you're, uh, you know, buying online, flipping. Maybe you run a retro game shop. But I'm going to assume that you're a one-man store, maybe husband, wife. So you don't really have a lawyer. Uh, you don't really have a CPA. Maybe you go into H&R Block. Um, by the way, I'm happy to help listeners with taxes. Um the thing about taxes, if you don't charge a fee, you can help people. Like if you charge a fee, you are not allowed to give advice as a financial advisor. Um, it's kind of socioeconomic discrimination. Like if you don't have a million dollars with a brokerage firm, they aren't allowed to tell you advice for the future. They can tell you how to place a trade, what happened in the past, but you can't talk to someone that looks at screens and says, well, with the new election, I think this stock is going to do this. You can't do that unless you're a millionaire, basically. Now, for taxes to get advice, yeah, you need to talk to H&R Block financial advisors. Not H&R Block tax preparation, but advisors. And even CPAs, I mean, you know, they're licensed in one state, most of them. So to get big-time advice that goes across the country, you have to get an accounting firm or maybe an EA that has experience working at the IRS and knows all the states, or a tax lawyer that maybe has multiple, you know, an office in Florida, an office in California, et cetera. So I'm going to assume for this last segment that we don't have all that. You're just like me. You know, we started on the ground. We bought one item, flipped it, bought a second item, flipped it. Here we are running a business out of our home with games stacked up everywhere. We can barely keep track. Um, some of you may or may not be using a spreadsheet. So the, the number one thing you got to do if you're going to be a business or an investor is you got to start keeping records. So that's one of the requirements. The two requirements for the IRS to be a business, not a hobby business, but to be able to write off stuff and take tax benefits is you have to be a going concern. So you really have to be someone. I, I look at it as instead of collecting, you're trying to ring up a cash register every day. So you're a going concern. So going means you're doing it continuously. You're not collecting one month of the year, sticking it in the closet. You're, you're doing it every week, every day, um, at least research. And then concern means you're trying to make a profit. So those are really the two things. You really need to be trying to make a profit all the time. And a profit doesn't mean you're going to make a profit. It means you're trying to make a profit. So you can still take losses. 
So let's look at some ways to pay some taxes. Um, the first thing to think about is buying versus collecting. So when you're collecting, you might be overlooking stuff like sales taxes, shipping, this and that. Um, and you're just thinking about what you want. But if you're purchasing for inventory for what's called cost of goods sold, which is the most important thing that you should keep track of if you want to take uh, the most powerful tax benefit, which is writing off cost of goods sold, that's going to be your biggest tax write-off every year. I would recommend keeping a spreadsheet of your inventory. And I would recommend the left-hand column would be the date. The next column would be the quantity. The next column would be the description. And the next column after that would be the amount. And um, you you keep that in your computer, maybe make a copy of it, maybe, maybe even a, a version you can put on your phone. And at any time, whether you're doing a, a show or traveling or away from your desk, you can look up exactly what you paid, when you paid it, where you bought it. You might even add a, common, a, column, a column for how you bought it and where you bought it. I do that as well. Um, so you have access to what you paid, where you paid it, how much you paid it, because as a business owner investor, that is the most important thing. Um, if you believe in Warren Buffett and value investing, it's all about the purchase price. It's about what you paid, when you paid it and who you paid, where you, you know, it's about getting in low and selling high. Even if you get in low, you can sell a little bit higher and not get hurt. If you get in high, your only choice is to sell very high, and that's a problem. Um, as a collector, I guess you can wait 10 or 15 years, but the assumption is you're moving from collecting into investing, and you're thinking about becoming a business owner like me. So the first thing to stop thinking is that you're not collecting, you're purchasing. You're not shopping, you're acquiring. Uh, you're not building a collection, you're putting together inventory or a portfolio. You're taking positions. So how do you pay some taxes on taking positions? Well, there's all kinds of things to lower the cost of purchasing. Um, number one, pay no sales taxes. So you get your seller's permit from your state, you upload that to eBay and Heritage, and you pay no sales taxes. I've spent over 20 grand at Heritage this year, I've paid zero sales taxes. I've spent over 200 grand this year on video games, I've paid zero sales taxes. I've bought a million dollars in video games over the last 10 years, I've paid zero sales taxes, okay? Actually, maybe I've paid, you know what? I've paid maybe $1,000 for orders that I ship directly to customers sometimes, drop shipping, where um, eBay will charge sales tax based on the destination. Sometimes that's a quick and easy way to fill an order uh, maybe a back order or an out-of-stock item. So I'm not going to say I've paid zero sales taxes on that million, but I sure as hell didn't pay a hundred grand, which would be what it was born and raised in California, which I, I left and I left my heart in San Francisco. And if I was wealthy, I would move back there. But I left because of the cost of doing business, particularly taxes, sales taxes and income taxes was a double whammy and buying stuff. I want to get in lowest in the world. I tell my customers I have the lowest price in the world on many items. So that's the biggest, most powerful strategy you can employ is stop collecting, you know, convert your hobby business to a real business by simply going to the IRS website, spending 15 minutes and getting an EIN number. 
as soon as you get an EIN number, you're a business. And then if you want to make it totally legit, um, spend about maybe a half hour with your city and go get a business license. You might have to register with the state as well. Some states want a state business license. Some want city. Some want both. Um, then you're in business. I mean, it's really just a mindset. It's just a shift of the mind. I'm no longer buying for me only. I'm buying for me, the future, and customers. And I'm not buying for my collection anymore. I'm buying inventory. And buying is called purchasing. Or as an investor says, acquisition. Acquire. Okay. So when you're on Heritage, you're not shopping. You're acquiring pieces. And you're trying to acquire them at a, a below market. Same with social media and eBay. So that's the most powerful strategy to pay some taxes is start a spreadsheet, spend an hour online getting your paperwork in order, and keep track of your costs, of your inventory, not your collection. Um, the most emotional thing you're going to have to go through as you make this transition is, what about the stuff I already have? What about the video games I already have? Are those in my inventory? Well, the way I do it is if it sells, it went into inventory the day before the sale or January 1st, the year before the sale. That's kind of how I separate PC or personal collection or stuff that's off the block. In other words, maybe you don't want to sell it. Put it up high. The year it sales, then you can do the accounting and the bookkeeping and the tax accounting for that. So you can basically say, well, oh. I sold that big game. I didn't really want to sell it, but I couldn't say no to five grand because I paid a grand. You're going to have to transfer that into your business sometime. You know, that probably would become January 1st, the year you sold it. And it converts from PC to inventory. And then it immediately goes out as a sale, as a revenue. So your biggest write-off is when you write off cost of goods sold against revenue. And that gives you a gross profit. Now, here's where it gets kind of fun. When you start writing stuff off gross profit, you know, um, the two that you can't avoid are not fun. Let's cover those real quick. The bad news coming first is shipping and fees. So we're talking legal. We're not talking selling on social, even though there's going to be PayPal fees. But we're talking about shipping and fees eat up 15 to 20%. When you're talking about Amazon, eBay, Mercury, running your old website, Shopify, Walmart, you know, I don't care what the platform is. You're talking 15 to 20%. So you sell a hundred grand, you're going to pay out 15 to 20%, 15 to 20 grand to USPS, FedEx, UPS, Amazon, Walmart, Mercury, eBay, PayPal. That's just the name of the game. The good news is if you stop collecting and you start running a business or a new mindset like an investor, you can write off that 15 to 20%. Now that's paying some taxes, right? Because now you're down to 80%. Now, if you can hack that in half, that's where it gets kind of fun, especially if you have a day job, you know, um, because you're paying, you know, you're paying taxes on your day job and they're pulling, they're pulling withholdings out of that. And you're used to getting a refund, but then you started your, your video game business and now you got to pay all these taxes and pay quarterlies. Well, you better get savvy at tax benefits. So let's cover the biggest fun ones. So the fun one is home office. I think that's really fun because on social media, you can throw up something like, I wrote off some of my rent. I wrote off some of my internet bill, my TV bill, my cable bill, my uh, Xbox uh, Live Pass bill, my PlayStation bill. I wrote off all my, uh, you know, all my... Uh, 
my movies at Disney Plus because I'm researching uh, video games and pop culture. Um, I wrote off all my pop culture research. That could be magazines, videos, Blu-rays, uh, 4K, 8K TV. It could be anything in your home office as long as it's business. It's got to be business. The primary reason has to be business. Why did you buy that 80-inch 80, 80 8K for business? Because you're testing 8K PS5 games because the new console dropped. You're writing off the PS5 console. You're writing off every game you buy. You know, it's either research or inventory or equipment. And equipment can be written off in the first year through uh, a thing called, uh, you know, depreciation. And you can write that all off at once. Um, you can split it up. I don't want to get into how complicated it is, but you can write off everything in your home office pretty much. Um, printer, scale, speakers, desk, chair, barcode scanner, screen, keyboard, desktop, memory, Blu-ray, media, magazines, uh, big screen TV, table, paper, uh, boxes, uh, stickers, eBay tape, uh, you know, WADA fees. You know, that's another fun one, by the way. I was talking about 15 to 20% in fees. What about WADA fees, VGA fees, eBay fees, Shopify fees, dot-com fees, uh, Instagram, uh, you know, shop fees, uh, Facebook shop fees. So fees is really one of the biggest. I mean, I usually write off uh, 20 to 50 grand in shipping and fees every year. Um, fees are hellacious this year because I'm pulling loans and that, that can all involve bank fees, finance fees with uh, business credit. Um, fees, shipping, and insurance are massive. You can write off insurance. You know, I recommend getting a collect insure policy so you don't have to insure anything outbound or inbound. They just cover the whole kit and caboodle worldwide. You don't have to buy insurance at eBay, buy insurance at the post office, buy insurance FedEx. You can stop buying that as long as you're under 50 grand. Um, I think the cutoff on collect insure is 10 grand, but you can go probably 10 to 50. Anyway, those are fun write-offs. You can write all that stuff off. Um, you can write off rent. Now, if you own your home, it gets complicated. Rent is basically the equivalent of depreciation. So you're going to be writing off stuff like uh, the home improvement you did, the upgrade to your home office, building a wall, you know, soundproofing, whatever. Uh, maybe you're, you're on social and, and you want to write off a camera, a microphone, uh, excuse me, all kinds of stuff you can do. Um, depreciation wise. And you can do that if you're renting for your your equipment. But generally, most of us are probably renting that retro game shop or renting that home office. We might be renting a storage unit. All that stuff is a write-off. Um, you can rent a $1,000 storage unit climate controlled with insurance and, uh, you know, cameras uh, and write that off. I mean, you can rent one from PWCC here in Oregon. They can store your stuff. You can have it shipped here. You can avoid sales taxes. You can write that off. You can write that fee off. So there's so many ways to pay some taxes and take a lot of tax benefits and tactics by basically thinking like a business owner. So the catch is, the bad news is when you do home office, um, the rumor is that it doubles your chance of audit, which is nothing to worry about if you're writing stuff off legally. Now, if you're hiding and tax evading, I can't really advise on that end. But if you're doing everything legally, um, I've been through an audit myself. I represented myself. I got through the audit no problem. Um, it was quite easy. I was just a flea compared to all the big businesses she was dealing with. We went back and forth for a few months. I walked out of there earning money. The IRS told me, you know what? We owe you money. 
So, you know, audits aren't really that scary. Um, home office doubles your chances of an audit from like one in a hundred to two in a hundred or like, you know, one person in 200 to one, uh, maybe two people in 200. I don't know. I don't know the exact statistics. But, you know, everybody uh, on the high end investor side, they got a CPA. They're doing home office. You know, they may have their company out in the city and they may be living in the suburbs in a real nice home office with a big, nice home office. They're writing that off. They're like a consultant to their company or whatever. You and me, we're selling online at our home office. So the catch is you can only write off the square footage ratio. So if your house, your apartment is 1,000 square feet, your home office is 200 square feet, that's 20%. That means you can only write off 20% of your electric bill, 20% of that loud thing you just heard called landscaping, 20% of your sewer, 20% of your water, 20% of your rent, 20% of your renter's insurance, 20% of your repairs and maintenance maybe, 20% of your shared stuff such as your internet, your uh, streaming. Now if it's 100% dedicated to video gaming, and video game flipping, um, you can write it off 100%, such as a dedicated Xbox account, dedicated uh, Disney account. Let's say you're flipping videos and games. You can say every video game I, every video game and every video I watch, every movie I watch, every TV show I watch is research for me doing product research, market research to decide what items I'm going to purchase and put into inventory. So it gets really fun and flexible. You know, you can do all kinds of things with home office and a shop and a company and a mailing address. You know, you can have multiple entities. You can have a, you can hire yourself as a consultant. You can hire your family. There's all kinds of stuff you could do to pay some taxes. Um, I think that's enough for today. I mean, we're approaching the hour and you know, I'm pretty much a credit expert. I would consider myself a sole proprietor expert. That's a Schedule C. That's probably the first place you should go is Google Schedule C and study all the write-offs. Um, I think the favorite on that list, if you Google Schedule C and download the PDF and you look below gross income, you're going to see a bunch of boxes. It starts with advertising. It's it's uh, alphabetized. It goes from advertising all the way through other. And uh, I think home office is on there as well. But the fun one on there, and when Corona gets, I mean, I'm, I'm a futurist, by the way. I actually dropped an article. I've dropped one article published with my uh, professor, shout out to you, Dr. Carr at SFSU for helping me finish my uh, thesis and get an article out there in the futurist. Um, I was looking at the future of the auto industry, which did go electric. I was studying hybrids at the time, but I've always thought like a futurist, so I'm always thinking of the future in terms of taxes. With the blue wave sweeping over today, we're going to see, you know, a thousand pages of new tax laws dropping, you know, what, two months from now, you're going to have a whole different tax, you know, tax return come, uh, you know, next uh, April, March, whenever you do your taxes, you know, you're going to get a few surprises. You might get some good surprises, bad surprises, depending on what you do. You have basically what? You've got, you know, 50, 57 days to make strategic and tactical changes. Yes, you can start your business right now today. You could start your business on December 24th. You know, there's no like rule of you can't start your business late in the year. And then you can file your Schedule C. I would recommend starting your business right now. Don't wait. And something to look forward to in year two, three, four of your business when you're kind of rolling along, maybe you take a loss in your first year, your second year, you're, you're using your tax benefits, you're getting a feel for the tax code, you know where you're going because you got four years under Biden or the new Trump or the old Trump, and you know there's going to be the next transition. So you got four years to make your play. 
and you're looking at Corona and the vaccine coming online and you're thinking, oh gosh, PRGE, Comic-Con, you know, maybe I want to go to Japan. I just, congratulations, Kinsey, shout out to you on the Metal Jesus crew for getting a job in Japan. You know, I've been to Japan 10, 10 times. I've worked and lived in Japan. It changed my life. You know, I started my, my, one of my companies in Japan. Kinsey, have fun over there. Uh, I can't believe you're going to be in development in the gaming industry. That's a dream come true. But uh, hey, maybe you want to go to Japan for a trade show. Maybe you want to go to Japan to hunt retro games. Maybe you want to set up a Comic-Con and put out your WADA. Maybe you want to come to PRGE and get on a panel. That's one of my dreams. I want to be on the panel. Wow, I'm getting emotional. That's weird. Yeah, I want to be on that dirty reseller panel. You know, I've been flipping for 35 years. I want to be on that panel with you and Josh, Reggie. Um, anyway, um, I want to get out and about and the f the funnest, I'm using that word again, ex-English teacher. I was teaching in Japan. It wasn't really about proper English. It was about having fun in the classroom, you know, using English a little bit. So the funnest right off in the world, whether you're a billionaire, a millionaire, uh, you know, a pauper like me, a starving, you know, student business owner like me, it doesn't matter who you really are. I, I assume you can do this abroad as well, but definitely for the IRS tax code, you can write off half of travel and entertainment. So I got 10 minutes to go over this. The first thing is you got to stay overnight. From what I understand, you got to stay overnight. So the advanced powerful strategy on that is you fly in, you arrive on a Friday, you do a business meeting on Friday night with drinks and entertainment, you take out a potential client or maybe a supplier, a developer, you know, whatever it is. It could just be a customer you found on eBay. It can be someone you hooked up with on IG and you're giving them a WADA game that night, Friday night, and you set up a meeting on Monday before you get on that plane, you write off four days. Okay, that's the good news. You write off four days of drinking, partying, meeting, going to arcades for research, you know, uh, setting up at the show, you know, buying games, uh, buying magazines, entering contests, whatever it is, paying for the hotel, the local transportation, the airplane, the insurance, maybe uh, shipping, you know, if you're doing very big stuff and you write the whole weekend off Friday through Monday. So the bad news is you can only write off half. So the IRS assumes that people just go overboard, and they do. And the IRS says, okay, we know you're going overboard, everybody, so we're just going to cut it in half. So you spend five grand on the weekend, you still get to write off 2,500. So if you're in a, let's say, let's say your day job's in a 40% tax bracket, and you're going to take a loss in your business that year. And you're going to take an additional $2,500 loss because you're going to, well, I'm going to go to Comic-Con. I know video games aren't really going to sell, but I want to put them out to wake people up and maybe get a few customers, hand out my business card, introduce my eBay store, my retro store. And I'm going to go to Comic-Con. I'm going to spend five grand on this trip. You know, I'm actually going to hit up Disneyland, Lego World. I'm going to do that early in the trip. I'm going to hook up with a San Diego customer, a Los Angeles customer. I'm going to fly in on Tuesday. You know, I'm going to hook up with a customer every single day. Go into Comic-Con for the weekend and fly out on Monday. I'm going to bring the family. They're also in the family business. So we're going to take a $10,000 loss on this trip. But it's not a loss in the long run. You're, you're building you know, reputation, brand. You're building your supply chain. You're building your customer base. 
But that year you just started your business, your day job, you're in the 40% tax bracket. You're in a high tax income state like California. You're in the 50% tax bracket. You're writing off 10 grand. You're taking a $10,000 loss in your business that gets to buy $10,000 worth of video games that you can flip for $10,000 worth of profit and break even, or in other words, get that $10,000 profit for free on something you flip, or you just take the straight loss. You take a $5,000 loss at a 50% tax bracket. You put $2,500 into your, into your pocket. So you take the family out to Disneyland, Lego World, and uh, Knott's Berry Farm, whatever. You go to Comic-Con. They go and, you know, go to the amusement parks. You do business. You know, you're at Comic-Con setting up. You come home. You hand all the receipts to your tax guy, and you tell him, I had a business trip out in California. You don't give him any other details. And you give him all the receipts, all the drink receipts, all the hotel receipts, all the airplane receipts, you know, everything. And he said, wow. That trip put 2500 you know, that knocked 2500 off your tax bill. And now suddenly you're getting money back from the IRS. And what that means is the IRS and California paid you. Uh, well, maybe maybe it wasn't California. Maybe you're coming from a different, maybe you're coming from New York to California or Boston to California. Okay, so New York, Boston paid you $2,500 and IRS to go take a $10,000 trip with the family. The primary reason you took that trip, here is the kicker. This is the bad news. Keep a diary. Every time you have a meeting, you have to write the reason. For example, met with supplier, met with customer, delivered inventory to customer. You don't write, met with Joe I met on Instagram to have a drink. You keep a very simple diary on your phone, met with customer, Set up at show day one, set up at show day three, etc. You you just keep that in your phone forever, just in case you get audited, and the IRS in your state will pay you to travel and have fun. That is the difference between being a collector and a business owner. Now, an investor, it gets complicated. You could be considered a day trader. You could go to a convention for day traders, financial, uh, real estate, you know, accounting, taxes. You probably could get a high-powered CPA to argue that video games is part of your portfolio. And you can write that off on Schedule A. It's complicated, but there are ways to write off stuff like travel, uniforms, suits, uh, kind of weird stuff like for nurses and uh, policemen. It's kind of a loophole for that type of profession where you're kind of self-employed. You're spending money on the side for, quote-unquote, your little independent contracting business. I, I don't want to go into the investment side because I don't have a whole lot of experience uh, on Schedule A is what it is, but it's possible. And the key to Schedule A, the most powerful thing on Schedule A is going to be medical, dental, real estate taxes, and real estate uh, interest. So really, Schedule A is for people that are in real estate that have a high property tax bill and they're paying a lot of mortgage interest. And if you bundle in charitable deductions and then this uh, day trader status you might be able to write off travel. But the easy way is just do a Schedule C, get an EIN, get a business license, upload your seller's permit to eBay, stop paying sales taxes on eBay, upload your seller's permit to Heritage, stop paying sales taxes on Heritage, buy a bunch of stuff, put it in inventory, start your, start your spreadsheet, and then get excited because you are now an entrepreneur, bro. Sister, you're an entrepreneur. And guess what? That's playing life like a video game, trying something new, 
doing exactly what you were doing before, just adding a few tools, change a little bit of your mindset. Now you're a businesswoman, you're a businessman, you're an entrepreneur, you're moving and shaking, you're traveling the country, you're having a blast, you're building your network, your brand, your eBay store's pumping, you're thinking about opening a retro game shop, you're thinking about quitting your day job someday, you're thinking about financial freedom, baby. And you're going to make mistakes along the way. You're going to have speed bumps. You're going to have to pay some taxes. You're going to have maybe some bad credit situations when you make some big mistakes and something punches you in the face like a corona or an economic shock. You're going to have to get through all that as an entrepreneur. The entrepreneur that wins is the one that survives. It's like going into the jungle and facing all the nasty animals with nothing but a pocket knife and surviving. That's what being an entrepreneur is. Play life like a video game and get through all those kill screens. Get through all those savage animals in the jungle. Don't give up on your business. Get your business to year 10. Then make a decision if you're going to give up or not. Because that's when you can become a master. Thank you for listening to Game Investing Radio. We're taking it up a notch. It's still pirate radio, not edited. I'm segmenting. That's the only change here. I'm segmenting. If you got through this last segment, you're a pro. Um, you have the potential to becoming a master. And I really appreciate your support on social media. That's why I do this. Um, I do it for love of the game. I want to share my 35 years of entrepreneurship. You know, I was a hardcore gamer uh, 35, 45 years ago. Um, I've been doing games. I've been a dirty reseller for 25 years. I've been a dirty, you know, game reseller for uh 10 years, I bought and sold, uh, you know, 10,000 sealed games over these last 10 years. And I'm, I'm, I'm just learning about retro and investing. So let's help each other out. Let's grow this community. Let's, let's watch it grow up from a hobby through gaming to collecting and, and finally investing in, in entrepreneurship. That's really the destiny. We're either going to entrepreneurship or investing. So again, thank you for listening. And, uh, let's, uh, let's try to, Keep it positive for the next four years.